0: One, two, three, four. I am joined by Sonya Ung. Sonya is the creator of the famous TikTok page, The Ung Squad. She's a full-time content creator and she's a mom of five kids. The t- TikTok page has grown to 8.7 million followers um, and her videos often feature videos with her husband her kids they're honestly hilarious and i've seen a lot of family tiktok pages and it's nothing like i've seen before it's just really creative um, so if you haven't seen her videos definitely check them out um, and i know that sonya's story is so different like her career journey you've gone through a bunch of different paths so i'm just really excited to dig in and to hop into your journey so thank you so much for coming on
1: thanks for having me savannah um, you know podcasts i've done a couple of them and i've got to say it's one of the things that i try to do to challenge myself because i don't feel like i'm a naturally good speaker you know off the cuff all of my tiktok videos are i mean obviously scripted and um, i love the writing aspect of it but this is um challenging for me but i welcome the challenge so thank you for having me (laughs) awesome awesome
0: um and i usually start with my podcast with childhood and all that so I'd love to hear your experience with your family from immigrating from Hong Kong um, Mm -hmm. to Canada, how that transition was. Um, I think we spoke before that my dad's from Hong Kong. So and he had immigrated when he was really young. So he was three. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think people would definitely describe him as like a whitewashed like Chinese person, I guess, because he's, you know, the culture was still there, but it was like he didn't really grow up in Hong Kong. So I'd love to just hear your experience with your family and everything.
1: Yeah. So my parents, um, we immigrated to Canada when I was, I think about one and a half. So mm-hmm. I was younger than your dad. And you know what that means then is that I don't remember anything before that. So um, you know, we may have, you know, come from Hong Kong, but I think practically I have In my mind and in my experience, I've just grown up here in Vancouver, actually in Canada. So my parents, I think, had dreams for their kids to grow up in a place where there was um you know strong education and um you know just Vancouver as you know is just so beautiful. It's wide open spaces and there's just a lot of opportunity here for say things like outdoor sports. Um, you know, we've got everything at our fingertips from you know the mountains and the water and Whistler we skied when we were young, um, you know, before Whistler became a thing. Um, and so it was really a bit different back then. And um for me, I would say because my parent my parents did the legwork. They did the hard work of actually moving and having to um, acclimate to a new culture and a new environment, but it was not difficult for me. You know, we grew up speaking English without an accent. You know, my parents enrolled us in the local schools and um, we made friends quickly. There weren't the same number of Asians that there are today, but to me back then, it just it didn't, it wasn't an issue. We just, you know, integrated very easily. Um, and so I feel really grateful to my parents for having taken that difficult step. And um, th- I think their efforts really paid off. Um, they did the hard work and we really benefited, my brothers and I, from um, the difficulties that they endured.
0: Right, right. Okay. And from there, from growing up to Canada, mm-hmm. and I know you, were, you went to the States for school, you went to Ivy League schools, which is amazing. Um, I think there's a lot of maybe like stereotypes of what those experiences are like for you. Was it everything that you had expected? I'm like what do you think you got out of college like for me i went to uvic for business yeah. school mm-hmm. and the program was really great but for me it was just kind of the experience for living away from home um being able to, i had like work terms or co-op terms um mm-hmm. that was like the most valuable experience but the actual classrooms i don't remember much it was mostly just like the people that i got to meet and i felt like i could actually like grow up because i was away from home and i wasn't dependent on my parents so Yeah. What was it like for
1: you in college and going to Stanford and also Harvard? Yeah. You know, and I think what you just described as you don't even remember half the classes that you took, but it's the experience. And I actually think that that is the entire point of college. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for me, my parents, you know, like I said, they worked really hard and I was very sheltered. I feel, Um, you know, they had a very clear idea of what they wanted for us. And I appreciate it so much. Um, you know, like the the education and then the post-secondary education, um, you know, they set their dreams really high and they set the bar really high. And um, I'm grateful to them for that. Um, so, you know, S- Stanford was um it was an adjustment. And like like you said, you know, coming from a family that's very tight-knit and close and warm and nurturing. You know, you're all of a sudden put in a position where you're kind of out there to fend for yourself. Although, you know, Stanford is kind of, I would say, a medium-sized college. Like I think my my class was about a thousand people or something. So it's not huge like a state school. Um, it's not tiny either. I feel very grateful that. I could go to a place where they actually, I think they really take care of their freshmen and their students. And, you know, they, as soon as you get there, they they put you in a small group of let's say eight or nine students who live in your dorm and they match you up with an upperclassman and a faculty member. And that's one of the first people or groups that you meet and you go out to lunch and then you, you know, get to know each other and you're kind of, there's diversity in that group, but there's also, you know, sometimes a similar interest and it's why they put you in that group, but it's nice to, have that community right off the bat. Um, So I I think that there were, you know, a lot of ways that the school helped me feel like home and kind of helped me transition. But at the same time, like for everybody who goes, who moves away from home, you're kind of in a new place and you have to meet new people and you kind of have to figure things out for yourself. So, you know, it's, it's hard and but it's, I think, so critical for just anybody's journey to adulthood.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And and I saw on a TikTok that you had played tennis competitively. Um, I know nothing about tennis. I tried playing in California this past week. I'm so I'm like terrible. But um, I was wondering, like, was it something that you'd want to pursue like professionally back in the day? Or did you, was it just something that you wanted to do when you
1: were younger in college? The tennis, I didn't play competitively, really competitively until okay. now, until my, I was an adult. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I I did play um, like I was the captain of my um, tennis team in high school, um, but I wasn't I mean, I wasn't good enough to play like in Division One um, college. Um, and then it wasn't until it's funny enough, like I had my fourth child. So this is like way later. And I was having a hard time getting rid of the baby weight, (laughs) even like a year and a half after I'm like, Oh, how come this isn't just going away? And so I thought, okay, I need to find something to do. Like I have to start moving. And so I thought Mm -hmm. I'm going to get back into tennis because it's fun. It's not Mm -hmm. like for me, like going to the gym is kind of boring. And I just, it was hard to get motivated to do that, but tennis is social. And Mm -hmm. so I started taking some lessons again to get back into it. And then I found a friend group who are crazy about tennis and it was just a lot of fun. So I started playing and then turns out in Canada or maybe it's everywhere. I don't know, but when you're 35, you're considered a senior. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And (laughs) so I started competing in Um, tournaments as a senior at 35 and so that's when I think I my game started to progress and I started to learn you know tactics and all the fundamentals of the game started coming back to me again and um, I played doubles as well so um, that's kind of where (laughs) that went
0: yes yes well kudos to you because tennis is very hard I mean, it's like you can pass the ball around, but like actually having skill, like that's very hard. So kudos to you. Yeah. I was wondering if that was like a passion that you'd like a dream that you'd want to pursue um, as a career, but that's, that's cool that you got back into it um, as a mom. And I also read that, you know, you, before your current role, you were working as a um, trauma counselor at BC Children's Hospital. That's such a different role from what you're doing now. That's totally a crazy shift. So talk to me about like, I'm assuming it's so challenging in that role and like changing yeah, now.
1: Totally. And that it's in itself was a journey, um, you know, and it goes back to my childhood. It's it's funny how things come full circle. So, you know, when I was young, um, my parents, you know, we were all very involved in our church and, um, you know, sometimes there would be these conferences and, you know, some of my earliest memories at those conferences were just going straight to the nursery so I was like maybe eight or nine but my favorite place always was the baby nursery and I would go there and I just play with babies all the time and every Sunday when my parents went to church I would just go to the nursery and hang out there the whole time it was like a passion from when I was a child and so you know growing up when I went to college I was like okay well obviously you know I I know that I love children and I want to work with them and so naturally I thought oh I'll be a teacher Um, And so when I was at Stanford, they had uh, a class where you could um, be right in the classroom, it was like a practicum. And so there was like a local public school, I think it was like maybe second or third grade, and I walked in there and I knew after 10 minutes, I'm like, no, this is not it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I, I watched this teacher it just wasn't what I thought teaching was. I thought it was about relaying information, teaching kids about subjects and new things. But what I saw in this teacher was this is about classroom management. And I was like, no, I, I, that is not my skill set, you know. And I was totally, I, I don't, I don't think this is for me. And I thought, but I still love children. So what can I do? And I was looking around the classroom, and I'm like, okay, this poor teacher is basically spending her time managing just a couple kids actually who seem to be needing more attention, um, whether it's with the schoolwork or with their behavior. And I'm like, okay, well, how, you know, this classroom could run a lot more smoothly, and she could actually get to her lesson plan if. Um, these kids had better supports. So that's when I thought, okay, wow, there's this whole thing about mental health. And this is before, like mental health, I think, or me- mental wellness is—it's much more prevalent now. The concern about mental wellness is a thing now. But this was like 20 years ago. I was studying psychology, and I thought, okay, well, what can I do? How can I help kids who have mental illness? Because I think this is what was happening. You know, there there were kids who had ADHD and anxiety, and um, you know, they were having a hard time managing themselves in the classroom because of these issues. Um, so that's when I took an interest in children's mental health. So I studied psychology in undergrad, and then I went to grad school and I studied, uh, I got a master's in education and a certificate of advanced study in counseling. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it from starting with teaching, but then it took a different route than I thought. Um, And so after graduation, I got a job at Children's Hospital in Vancouver. They have an inpatient psych unit for children, another one for adolescents, And so I worked on the, uh, zero to 12 unit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So how was that like day to day? Was that
0: quite, um, maybe mentally exhausting just because it's very, you know,
1: hands-on. Yeah. So that was probably one of the hardest jobs that I've ever done. They were 12 hour shifts. So it was shift work. Basically we were assigned maybe one case at a time because it's really intense. Like these kids practically the youngest we ever got was about five um, because the kids had to live on the unit I, I think the program has changed a lot but back then mm-hmm. um you know maybe about 10 years ago 12 years ago the kids would live on the unit for about a month and that's really tough it can be really tough for young children right to be taken out of their homes and to be away from their parents uh, when, if, if they were really young like five then we would allow the mom to, you know, sleep in their rooms and stay overnight. But most cases, the parents lived out of the hospital. And so we could work with the kids really intensively. And, um, you know, obviously they were there because they had to be. And so these kids had some very serious issues and it was really, really intense. And by the end of the day, by the end of each shift, I was just emotionally and physically spent. But at the same time, I felt like I was doing such important work. Like there was so much job satisfaction for me. I had a really great team there of nurses, psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, social workers. Um, there was pharmacists. Like there's so many people, and and it was just a really strong and supportive team. And I thought that was so important to help me keep going with this job because you know it's so exhausting and draining as you mentioned but I really loved it and I I stayed for about 5 years until I had my second baby and then at that point I decided I was going to stay home with my kids
0: wow wow okay okay incredible so I want to shift a little bit to TikTok yeah um so I, I know that a lot of your life is you know, out there, but you keep a lot of it private, actually. Like, I think most people don't even know your name or they think your name is like Melissa, which yeah. I've seen everywhere. Like, I was just kind of searching you up and I was like, Melissa
1: Ong. I was like, wait, did I get the wrong name? I wonder why people get Melissa. Because um, there's another verified TikToker, an Asian girl named Melissa Ong. And of okay. course, all Asians look the same. Kidding, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but you know what you make you you bring up a great point is I do have some level of anonymity on social media, which has been totally intentional. I didn't put my name up there. Um, okay, you know, and it's funny, I'm I'm just processing this right now. And it all starts with again growing up um with my parents, you know, they have expectations of what I'm gonna do later on. And when I started the social media thing, I was really hesitant and just kind of nervous about it because. My family were very private. My parents were very conservative, and I thought this is like the opposite of I think what they would have wanted me to do. Um, so you know, it was during the pandemic that we started um, making TikToks, and I was like, "Well, I don't want." anybody that i know to know that i'm doing this so i'm going to have kind of a generic name um you know hopefully i can hide behind it and no one's going to know about it so that was kind of the original reason of why i didn't put my name name as my handle and mm-hmm. then um you know we started growing i and then i realized wow you know a lot of people one of the biggest struggles i would say as a creator is your mental health you, ha- you you're out there you're putting yourself out there in the public and people are sent people who don't know you they're Strangers, they see you know a fifteen second clip of you, and they make a judgment about you, and they tell you about it, and mm-hmm. that is like really toxic and damaging to your self esteem because obviously there's no filters on social media, and you get it all. And um, I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges for um, creators is managing the negativity. Mm-hmm. Because my name is not up there, I never feel directly attacked. I I don't, you know, and, and they can say whatever they want, but I know that first of all, my videos are scripted. So it's not even the real me, you know, it's not like a podcast (laughs) where you're representing yourself. I'm kind of, it's like creating a play or like a TV show or something, you know? So sure. It reflects to some extent, my experience as a mom, but I'm not there being my 100% real authentic self speaking off the cuff. So um, it's been really protective. And I'm so glad I did that. It's Mm -hmm. just it's worked out so perfectly. I'm starting to come out of my shell a little bit. um, Because now this is my life. Like, you know, this is my job This is my life. So I think it helps my brand to have to be a real person behind it. So I'm kind of moving a little bit into a more public eye, especially in terms of Instagram, I think that platform kind of is for real people, right? You, you know, you have to represent yourself on Instagram, especially in this, in stories. So, um, I'm kind of growing in that area. I think it's hilarious that people think my name is Melissa, especially because her content, if you ever go to her page is like rated R. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like so- completely different from yours. Yeah, it's So different. We, we are like rated g for family yes. and we're totally family friendly um we're very wholesome and she is yes. totally on the opposite end so i That's it's so hilarious. funny yeah it's hilarious but i just leave it and i just laugh about it
0: <laughs> right oh my gosh so, so okay going back to remaining like i know with, okay so for my podcast for a mm-hmm. while i was a little bit like not scripted but i would do maybe more surface level conversation maybe when i first started because i was terrified of opening myself up and especially people in Vancouver like know about my podcast and when i start to open up I started to grow more and people mm-hmm. resonated with me more when I would share more about like my own personal relationships or mental health and all that mm-hmm. um but part of me still like maybe again it's the way that I was raised where my parents are very private and they're like don't share anything don't say anything yeah. um but I'm a little bit like oh no did I say too much but I'm like learning to kind of let go and some topics that I brought up are like you know they have help other people so I'm okay yes. with that so for you you're seeing yourself grow and people are going to find out obviously your name because you're going to share about it more. Um, How do you feel about that? Like knowing this is your business and it's your brand and you want to grow, but you also want to try to like, you know, protect your privacy. Hey guys, if you're an avid listener of my pod, then you know that I love speaking about mental health, whether that's in my personal life or with my guests, I sometimes always end up gearing towards that topic. And I've struggled with mental health in my own life. And I opened up about my eating disorder on the podcast, which was terrifying, but it's now so rewarding. It's really helped me heal in my own journey. And I've been able to connect with so many people. And one of the things that really helped me through my healing journey was therapy. And for some of my friends who, always thought about trying it. They find it inaccessible or expensive or hard to find the right therapist. And that's where today's sponsor BetterHelp comes in if you're struggling with your own mental health or you know you're feeling anxious depressed overwhelmed and you're looking to get into therapy and you need someone to talk to BetterHelp is a really great resource and it's here to help they offer a licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you so you can talk to your therapist in private in an online environment wherever you want i know for me um the first time was very overwhelming and it was in person so having an online you can just be in the comfort of your own home you can be in your car on a walk whatever you feel most comfortable with they have over 20,000 therapists with a huge network and you can get access to a therapist that's like may not even be available in your area but could be the perfect fit you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then you can match with a therapist as little as 48 hours my first time with a therapist IRL a couple years ago it took me three months to get booked with her it was crazy busy so it's amazing where if you need help you fill out the questionnaire and you get matched with someone in 48 hours and then you secure a video and phone session and everything is very confidential join the three million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health when an experienced better therapist and for all my listeners because we love discounts and we know therapy can be expensive sometimes so you can get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash well now what that's better hel slash well now what let's get back to the episode
1: totally and and that's i think that's something that i will be trying to figure out forever mm-hmm. is you know how much do i keep private um especially right now you know i i've got my tiktok my tiktok is my bread and butter and i'm going to keep going on that for as long as that I, as i can um instagram is something that i just started last year and the reason is because i found that that's kind of the traditional way that brands reach out to a person is through instagram and on tiktok it's really hard to connect with people that you don't that you're not already friends with so i started an instagram account um but in the last month I I started a YouTube channel, yes. um, just you know to diversify. Just in a month,
0: you started that.
1: Yeah, it's I I uh, I saw
0: you were nearly at like seven hundred and sixteen k, and I was like,
1: holy crap, yeah, that's it's a lot. Crazy. It, it's crazy. Yeah, I I would say I started I posted the first one in September, so it's maybe been, been, been a couple months. That's um, crazy but, growth. But the way that the uh, algorithm over there, I, it's it's a, it's a mystery to me because I'm new to it, but um. It didn't go anywhere for the first month. I would say, actually, even six weeks, I would get maybe two to four views on each video. And I'm pretty sure it was me and my husband <laughs> watching <laughs> them. Um, so I would say that maybe about a month ago, um, maybe the algorithm figured it out and it started pushing out my content. So, yes, now I'm at like, I don't know, 700 something thousand followers or subs. They call them subs yes, on I think just it's still very early on, but I'm thinking that's kind of the direction that I'm going to be moving in, in terms of like goals and growth for next year is kind of growing this YouTube, uh, growing and nurturing the YouTube community, because I think there's a real community there. Um, you know, from what I've seen so far, the comments have all been really positive, which is like so refreshing. Um, and, you know, it makes me want to go to the comment section and and want to go and connect with people there because they are there. I think they subscribe to families that they really want to follow and know about and learn about and care about. So, um, but, but what to do about content there, you know, I can keep going with the videos that I've been doing, which are, you know, conversations that I have my, with my daughter, you know, um, I do recipes, really simple recipes and what else do we, sometimes my husband and I will get up and do like a trending dance. (laughs) Um, but you know youtube is about the long form content they are they are they are promoting shorts it's also about long form and so just you know to your question you know where where do, how much of yourself do you put out there right and so with long form a lot of what families do are vlogs which yeah. is window you know it's a window into your everyday life and I, I would love to do that. Like, I, I, think, I think I really enjoy writing stories and kind of executing on the filming and the editing and all that stuff, like I love doing that as a project. But at the same time, um, I've been very intentional about, about not showing my kids on social media or at least not having them be the center of my content. Um, I think it's a very, you know, obviously it's my job now and it's my career, but at the same time, I think it's really a dangerous place for kids. Um, And I don't, just in terms of safety for one, but then also, you know, especially for my girls, I don't want that to be the center of their attention. And, you know, it's just social media is so much about outer appearance. And, um, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids that our goal is to cultivate who they are on the inside and their hearts and just all the things that you can't see. It'll be something that my husband and I really have to think about uh, soon. Um, in terms of the YouTube and, you know, what, what kind of content we're going to put out there.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And what did, what do people think in your normal life? Like your family members, maybe your kids, friends, their parents, like, do are they
1: aware of like (laughs) that you're on TikTok? What do they think about it? Okay. So I kept it a secret from everybody, especially my parents and my family for (laughs) a year. I would say I did it for wow. a whole year and trying to like keep it under wraps because I was just so kind of embarrassed and just so unsure. Like, it's just so, so not who we are, we were. Like, I, I'm not very active on social media to begin with. My husband doesn't even have a single social media account on any platform. Like we're not social media people. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I was just so worried about what my parents are going to think. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I waited until I had a million followers and I bagged my first brand deal. It was with Toyota. And I thought, oh, that's okay. a good brand deal. Uh, yes. Yeah. Right. And I was like, OK, I'm going to present this as like a package <laughs> and be like, hey, guys. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Like, this is I just want to let you know, like, this is what I've been doing during the pandemic. You know, we've been home. But, um, you know, I, I recognized that their concern would be about my kids. And so I decided I, I actually at that point when we hit a million people, I deleted all of my videos that featured my kids in them, their faces. And so, you know, I committed myself moving forward at that point to just create content. You know, it's still family friendly and you'll hear my kids' voices in them, but they will not be featured in my videos. And so um, I think at first my parents were kind of like, what is this? What's TikTok? Mm -hmm. And like, is it safe? You know, do people know where you live? Like all those questions came up and, um, you know, I think just having kind of a plan around Um, how I was going to do it. And, you know, this is kind of what I, these are the opportunities that are involved. Mm -hmm. They slowly accepted it and now they are my biggest fans. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. You
0: talked about your first brand um, partnership being Toyota. So growing from there, I know that you've done tons of brand partnerships now. Yeah. Um, How do you kind of structure that? I'm assuming you have management or a manager. Um, but like when you first started off with like rates and everything um, mm-hmm. so I used to work for a YouTuber he's been doing that forever um, and he's in tech so the rates are ridiculously Rated. high yeah. but like the companies will pay for it because it's like a very specific niche yes. um, but for you kind of lifestyle based mm-hmm. like were you kind of figuring out how's, how you went like for me when I um I've done a few brand partnerships I was like I don't really know how much to ask like you know it's, it's yeah. kind of hard to figure out so for you how have you navigated that kind of prior before having management and like a
1: manager and everything Yeah so I think when you're starting out as a creator that is the biggest question is what do I charge how my how much am I worth and so when I decided, you know, when I hit that million mark, it was really a point in time where I had to decide, okay, am I going to move forward with this? Because if I am, you've got to kind of go all, you know, you got to go all out, you know, content creation is every day. It's, or for me, I, I make three videos a week, but you know, it's, it's a constant thing and you can't, it's hard to take a step back. It's hard to do it part-time. Um, so you really have to make a conscious decision, you know, is this something that I want to do? And if it is, um, you know, I need to, have a plan. And um when I hit a million I started that's when I started getting brand offers from you know really big companies like Toyota and um and I wanted to do it right. You know, I didn't want to undercharge I, but I had no idea what I was worth. So I um there was a woman on TikTok her name is Giselle Ugarte And she is a social media coach. And I thought, and she was like, and I followed her and she gave really great tips. And I thought, oh, I would really love, I think I would benefit from a one-on-one session with her just to teach me how to manage my business and also what rate to charge and all that. So I thought, so I said, okay, it's a good investment. And I just hired her, um, I think it was like maybe three sessions of coaching. And she taught me, okay, this is, you have to make, you know, a deck, which is kind of like a digital like a pitch deck. Like yeah, a like a, yeah. like Yeah. Like a immediate. Yeah. Um, it's like a resume, but for, for like a digital resume. Mm-hmm. And so she taught me how to make one and she helped me edit it. And then she's like, this is what you present to your brand. I mean, to the brands that are interested in working with you. And then she's like, you start out and she gave me some kind of formula for like a base rate based on views. And so I was like, okay, this is where I start. This is where I can start. And then It's funny. Once you start getting your brand deals, you kind of go from your last. You go off the last one, right? So if Mm -hmm. if you ask, you know, sometimes I would ask for a higher rate, and then if they gave it to me, I would obviously go higher the next time. I would never go lower again, right? So the more more you do, you kind of you kind of figure out um, what your rate is based on what people are willing to pay you. But you know, at this point now, I think I've hired. I've hired management. I have a great team over at TTPM. I, I have so many brand offers now that I can kind of pick and choose what I want to do. And so um, I'm careful about who I want to represent. There are a lot of options out there, especially in family content. I guess I am lifestyle. I'm not sure. There's no really a family category, but I I do know that moms have a lot of buying power. And so I think brands are attracted to, um, you know, family creators because they know that, you know, moms make a lot of the decisions these days. So... So, yeah, I kind of just my team and I, we kind of every time we just think about which kinds of brands would kind of build up my brand as well. And that's so that's how we base our decision. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very cool. Um, and I'll ask one last question before we get into rapid fires. I'm curious to know. So being a full-time content creator and a mom, you know, you're mostly by yourself at home, I'm assuming. Do you find it kind of lonely or do you have like an online community of like other moms as well? Like I'm just curious yeah. to know.
1: So yeah, it's it's funny like you know through the pandemic so being home for 2 years essentially with my kids one thing that I've learned about myself is I think that I'm a total introvert which is I know it's it's wild to think about because I I'm I have this platform who, and I connect with so many people on a daily basis, but I, but, you know, I think you have to remember it's me and my camera. There's nobody here when I'm actually creating and working and I just feel so comfortable and happy doing this work in the comfort of my own home. And it's come to the point where, okay, you know, I have to tell myself, this is not healthy. Like I have to get out there. I have to be face to face with people. And um, so I feel really comfortable and happy with what I'm doing right now. Um, and it's the, the issue for me is the opposite. Like I need to kind of push myself to be more social, to connect with my friends because, um, you know, it, that's part of mental wellness, I think. Right, right. Okay, cool.
0: Um, do you want to get into some rapid fires? Just to end Sure,
1: out. but I have to warn you, I don't think I'm very good at
0: this. <laughs> so don't you worry, don't you worry. Okay. Um, okay, what are some of your, maybe give me like your top three dream brands that you'd want to partner with.
1: Okay, Disney.
0: Yes, good one.
1: Apple, and
0: maybe we'll leave that one blank for now, but let's manifest. Disney. Okay, I'm gonna say Amazon.
1: I'm gonna say Amazon.
0: Amazon, that's good. Okay, Amazon. Yes. Disney and Apple. You heard it here first. (laughs) Um, Okay. If your life was a movie, what genre would it be?
1: And who would you want to play you? Oh my gosh, Savannah, these questions are so (laughs) hard. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. If my life was a movie, what genre genre would it be? Romantic comedy, because those are the movies I like watching.
0: (laughs) Me Me as well. I'll give you a hint for like, for me, mine would also be romantic comedy. I think I would do, um they don't like a hundred percent look like me, but it doesn't matter. I love Lucy Liu and I love Olivia Munn. So I think yeah. those are great actresses that like are kind of
1: they kind of look like me. They do. Olivia Munn is good. It, yes. And I actually get Lucy Liu a lot. But again, I don't know if it's because like <laughs> all Asians look the same. <laughs> okay, let's come back to this question. Okay, okay, you'll think about it. Um, what's
0: something do you wish like more people asked you?
1: I wish more people asked me what sustains me as a content creator and as a mom of five. Mm. And what would that answer be? I would say that it's, I have, uh, I would say it's my faith. Mm. Yeah. yes. I, you know, we are devout Christians and every day I, I would say that that is what anchors me as a person. And it's what helps me navigate these crazy waters of social media, because it really is a wild, it's the wild, wild West it's kind of, it's relatively new to this generation Mm -hmm. Um, growing up. I never had any of these. Yeah. I never had an iPhone, you know, Facebook was invented when I was in college. That was kind of the first um, platform. And so, um, you know, kind of, I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants here half the time, but it's okay because um, you know, I'm very rooted in my faith. I know who I am
0: yeah. that's amazing yeah I think I actually did see an interview with you and your husband and your church yeah yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yes okay um okay. what is the kindest thing someone has ever done for you
1: um I think I would say it's my parents who, who gave me the best childhood that that they could and it really was such a wonderful upbringing for me. I had every opportunity. I had the friends, you know, I had a really close friend group and it was just the happiest childhood. And what I'm realizing, um, you know, in my studies of psychology is, you know, we, each of us has a, each of us has a narrative and, you know, you kind of become who you are based on your history and your genetics and all of this is it at play. And so I just feel very fortunate that I had um, such a wonderful childhood and it's really set things up for my adulthood.
0: Okay. Two more questions. Who's yeah. your
1: favorite person to follow on TikTok right now? There's a guy named Jesus. Okay. <laughs> he is this Hispanic dude. I, I'd say he's like in his like late twenties. Okay. And he, ju- he pretends and he acts like he's a Elementary school teacher. And so it's, it's skits and it's scenarios where he is either the school principal or the substitute teacher, the PE teacher, he's at a PTA meeting, whatever. And it is, he is hilarious. He's so funny. It's, he really like captures and kind of pokes fun at each of those um, circumstances. And it's just lighthearted, good writing, mm-hmm. um, funny. So loving that guy. Okay.
0: I'll have to check him out yeah Um, and last question that I ask everyone who are the three most
1: influential people in your life right now and you can group together sure sure. influential I would say I would say my parents my husband and Jesus Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) great answer great answer well thank you so much Sonia. it was lovely to hear more about your journey i feel like i've learned so much because you know there's not that much online about you which is a good thing yeah Um, so i appreciate you coming on to the podcast so thanks so much
1: thank you this has been great and see as you can see when you when you turn up the pressure and you're like you know rapid (laughs) fires i'm like "Ah, I can't. it's okay (laughs)
0: don't worry most people can't do rapid fires they just kind of go. it's all good so thanks okay (laughs)
1: Thank you.